This message is part of the teaching provided by House on the Rock Fellowship, a church caring for the Miami Valley region. Before you listen, be sure to access the notes in the download section of the message page. Have a Bible ready. Thank you for being our guest. Jesus was setting out on a journey. He was going from town to town, city to city. He was ministering, he's healing, he's teaching. People were flocking to him. In one particular moment, and this is recorded in Matthew, Mark, and Luke Gospels, a man comes up to him and we're told that he is a ruler and he's very, very wealthy. He's very rich. And he asks Jesus a question. Jesus is a rabbi, he's a teacher. This would be a a normal thing. And he comes up to Jesus and says, hey, what do I need to do so that I can inherit eternal life? That's that's an awesome question. I mean, if you're a guy like me, that's that's low-hanging fruit. We talk about that all day. I'm not great at small talk. Some of you are great at small talk. I can't small talk a lick. But you want to talk about eternal life, I can do that. Deb, she's like, she has a master's degree in small talk. You know it, right? Yeah. And and all those who know Deb, some people can't. But he, he comes up to Jesus, hey, tell me about eternal life. He's not asking, how do I get to heaven? It's not not the question he's asking. He's asking, how do I enter into that promised life of God that I read about in in the Jewish Bible? How how do I get into that space where I'm I'm dwelling in his blessing and his promise in this age and the age to come? How do I get to that, that life eternal? And so notice Jesus' response. He says, you know the commandments, right? You know the commandments? Don't commit adultery, don't murder, don't steal, don't bear false witness, tell the truth, honor your mother and father. Guy's like, I've been doing that since I was a kid. Jesus says, okay. Well, there's one thing that you lack. And you can imagine everybody is now leaning in. There's one thing that you lack. I want you to go home, Collect all your possessions, empty your bank account, sell the car, sell the clothes, sell everything. Give away all that you have to the poor. Then why don't you come follow me? And it says that the man left Jesus very distraught, crushed, because he was very, very rich. Isn't that interesting? If you open that story up a little bit and you consider some of the things that Jesus brings to the foreground, one of them is Jesus connects following him with the Ten Commandments. Isn't that interesting? Like Jesus brings the Ten Commandments to the table. What we call the Ten Commandments. That's that's what Jesus quotes. He says, hey, don't commit adultery, don't murder, don't steal, don't bear false witness, honor your mother and father. These are are the Ten Commandments. Now, it's only the five. It's only five of them. And it's kind of like the latter five. What's interesting is the one that Jesus doesn't bring up. You will have no other God before me. Don't make any graven images. Carry my name correctly. Bear my name correctly. Remember the Sabbath. Don't covet. 
Because as I started to think about the ones that Jesus didn't mention, those might have been the ones I would have brought to bear if I'm dealing, if I'm talking to someone who's very, very rich. Because you know what happens maybe? Maybe you don't. If money becomes a big deal in your life, it's really easy for that to become a God, isn't it? We're told that this man is a ruler. He's a socialite. He's a person of position. He has a moral responsibility to bear the name of God correctly. And yet, if he's known for being wealthy, maybe he struggles with that. Now, Jesus, of course, doesn't say that you can't have wealth. He doesn't say, that's nowhere in Torah, that's nowhere in the Bible, where it says you can't have wealth, you can't have these things. But isn't it interesting? Jesus cites some of the Ten Commandments, but then what he asks the man to do calls into question his obedience to the ones he doesn't mention. Take all that you have, go and sell it. Now come follow me. The man was interested in the good life. He did not want anything to do with the God life. How can I be a good person to walk down the good path? But when confronted with the God life, what it means to put God first, the man could not, would not. And it says he left very frustrated. In all of this conversation, Jesus drops the Ten Commandments right in the middle of the man's journey of faith. The Ten Commandments as a document, as a code, have kind of come under attack over the last few decades. And maybe you can recall in news, like, hey, you can't have the Ten Commandments at the courthouse. We don't want the Ten Commandments at the schools. And if you unpack some of those court cases and some of the litigation that's brought forward, some of the arguments hinge on the good life versus the God life. I mean, we can understand we don't want anyone murdering and adultery is bad and it's good to honor your parents. Don't steal. We get that. We get the good love. But this God stuff, there's really no place for the God stuff inside our Constitution. It violates our Constitution as the United States to put forth these commandments. And Jesus says, you can't have the good life without the God life. You can't take one commandment out and take another one and set it to the side. Which is what the man was doing when he came up and talked to Jesus. Yeah, I don't steal anything. I don't murder. I honor my parents. But he sure worshiped the all-American dollar to pay forward a phrase. And so what if we kind of sat with the Ten Commandments for a little bit? As a people, if you're a guest, I'm glad that you're with us. Thank you for being here. Maybe you'll hear something new. Maybe you'll hear something that challenges you. But for 2,000 years, followers of Jesus have held on to the Ten Commandments. They recognize there's something important there that keeps us upon the path. In the same way that Jesus paid those Ten Commandments forward. But we're not Jewish, you say. In fact, some of them are just kind of antiquated and out of place. I don't have any idols. 
<laughs> oh, okay. Well, why don't you come next week? We'll see what Scripture says. Well, Sabbath, we don't keep Sabbath. Well, that might be some of your problem. You don't know how to honor God in time. So if you would, let's find the book of Exodus. Exodus chapter 20. Jesus seemed to think that the Ten Commandments served as a guide, a sign, and were a part of following him. And I want you to notice something as we think about the significance of the Ten Commandments. That's mentioned twice in Scripture. They come up twice. That's kind of a big deal. Like once isn't enough, we're going to do it twice. And I want you to notice where they happen. God gives to the Israelites the Ten Commandments just as they are coming to Mount Sinai. So he's brought them out of Egypt. And this is the first time that Israel meets God at the mountains. The first thing that God says is these phrases, these statements. And it's kind of written in such a way that it's like a, mar a marriage covenant. A husband and a wife coming together. The, the way one is speaking and the one is receiving. When a husband and a wife come together, what are these things that they exchange? They exchange vows. They exchange these important governing beliefs. And God presents these 10 phrases with that kind of weight. Like, hey, this is to govern our relationship together. You want to know me? I want you to get to know me. Here's 10 things you should know from the get-go. You have no other gods before me. No graven images. Hey, carry my name correctly. Honor, Sabbath, love one another. The Ten Commandments are brought forward again in the book that we call Deuteronomy, which is given just as Israel gets ready to go into the promised land. Before they enter into the delight of God's promise, he says, hey, don't forget, almost like a vow renewal. Husband and wife say, hey, we want to renew our vows. God brings the Ten Commandments back again. Kind of a big deal, a big thing. Notice something else about the Ten Commandments. Most theologians break them right in half, five and five. The first five have to do with loving God, okay? The second half have to do with loving others. That's neat because when Jesus was asked, what's the most important commandment, what does he say? Simple, love God with all your heart, your soul, your mind, and your strength. Next, love others. Love others. The first four are really obvious about loving God. Then you have this thing about honoring your mother and your father, which really serves as this beautiful hinge pin between walking with God in faithfulness and walking with others in love. The culture of a family should inspire and connect us to a love of God and a love of others. And then you have commandments like, hey, don't steal, don't commit adultery. Tell the truth, don't covet. And so today we're going to unpack one of them together. And you can't take one out and have it not pull together all the others. Like you can't just pull this string out and not have the whole thing fall to pieces. So we're going to look at this one. And the elders each in turn are going to come up over the next few weeks and share one of the other commandments with you. But Exodus chapter 20. Let me read verses 1 and 2. Exodus 1 and 2. Maybe you feel like your life is falling apart and someone's been pulling the threads. Maybe the, these, these 10 statements of God would help you. Exodus 20. I'm going to read verses 1, 2, and 3. Exodus 20, 
God spoke all of these words. God spoke them saying, I am the Lord your God. I brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. You shall have no other gods before me. I'm going to read it again. Make sure you're looking at this. You got Genesis, Exodus, first two books, really early in the beginning. Exodus 20, verses 1 and 2 and 3. And God spoke all of these words, saying, I am the Lord your God, who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. You shall have no other gods before me. So you have three main phrases, three main clauses, and we're going we're gonna to look at those together. But what's that mean when he says to them, I am the Lord your God? Let's write it down together. In fact, Ryan, could you help us in our notes? Let's break Maybe this will be helpful in your notes. This, just write this down. I am the Lord your God who brought you out of slavery. You shall have no other gods before me give you a chance just to write each of those parts down, okay, in your notes. Writing things down can be a way to help us remember, kind of put things together in a way. I am the Lord your God who brought you out of slavery. You shall have no other gods before me. Let's think about that, that first thing that he says. I am the Lord your God. This is God speaking. These aren't humans speaking. This isn't a human idea or a human construct. These aren't human laws. This is God saying, I want you to know this. This is coming from my mouth. Let me bring you into the God life, not just the good life. Nothing makes sense in the rest of these commandments if you take that out. If you remove this first statement, everything else just really has nothing to hang on. Because of God, human life has value. So we don't murder one another. Because of who God is, we respect other people's property and God's provision. We don't steal. Because of who God is, we tell the truth. Because of who God is, we respect time and things like Sabbath. Because of who God is, we value the marriage covenant. It starts here. And it starts with God speaking. He's inviting us into a relationship. I am the Lord, your God. This is me. And then he says, who brought you out of slavery, brought you out of Egypt and out of bondage. I brought you out of slavery. These 10 statements are anchored inside of a story. It's very sad if you were to go to most monuments that depict the 10 commandments. They don't start here. Normally they'll start, number one, no other gods before me. But that's not how it starts. It starts with a story. These commandments, these statements grow out of what God has been doing. Uh, if, you're, if this is your first time being here at House on the Rock, we always try to remember the great story. The story that starts with goodness. God created things good. Creation, good. 
God created an environment and a space where humanity and all of creation can thrive. Things in balance, things in respect, mutual responsibility and care for one another. God makes good stuff. Then we jack it up. Because that's what humans do. Real quickly into the story. I mean, if you got a Bible and you read in the first couple pages, we're good for like chapter one and chapter two, and then we tank it at chapter three. We don't, I mean, if you're looking at a week, we don't even get into Sunday afternoon. The sun's up and we bomb in a bad way. There's treason and there's deception and there's lying. And then story after story after story in the beginning of Genesis, it's we're killing brothers, we're, 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 we're abusing one another, there's power plays. This is what humanity does. And you can't take that out of the story. You have to understand that's at the beginning. But into all of that, God says, I'm going to make you a promise. I'm going to fix this. I'm going to fix this. And so as you unpack the Old Testament, it's promise after promise and God working through broken people to move the story forward and to such a point where Jesus, the good delivering king, comes onto the scene and through all of his life, what is he doing? He's restoring and he's healing and he's bringing promise and he's putting people back together again and he's healing the blind and he's, he's bringing hope and he's confronting powerful governments and tyranny all the way to the cross to defeat sin and death, his resurrection. And then after that, his invitation to his followers, come, let's be a part about putting the pieces back together again. Let's make this right. All that humanity has done, let's put the pieces back together again. Let's be a part of restoring. What do you, if you're new to a church, you know what you're seeing? You're seeing a band of Jesus followers who are committed to putting the pieces back together again. The God life, not just the good life. And we're part of this restoration movement. Looking forward to that one point in history where Jesus comes back and we celebrate his kingdom come and his will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Amen? God, I love that prayer. That's a good prayer. It's almost something that you should pray every day. That's the story. Into that story, God reminds Israel of that story. He says, hey, I'm the God who delivered you out of Egypt. Well, where does that fit in the story? Because you didn't talk about that. Sure, that whole point and uh, that promise in the beginning uh, of the Old Testament, Israel goes into bondage. They go in into Egypt for 400 years. It's day after day after day after day of slavery and chains and corruption, being surrounded by a whole pantheon of Egyptian gods. And their sacrificial system and a culture of lies and a Pharaoh that believes he is a God. And they begin to cry out and God hears them and he sets them free. Ten plagues, the Red Sea, marches them to the mountain. They have this right behind them. This is what they've remembered and this is what they've seen. And into that God says, I am the God who did that. I am the God who set you free. And isn't it interesting? That's how he introduces himself. When you first meet someone for the first time, especially if it's guys, guys will do this. Like, hi, I'm so-and-so. Oh, I'm so-and-so. What do you 
do, right? This is, this is kind of how we define our existence by what we do. How did God introduce himself? Hi, I'm God, but he didn't say I'm the one who created everything. Is that true? 100% true, 100% true, created everything, but he didn't bring that one to the table. I mean, that's kind of, that'll get your attention. Hi, I'm God, I created everything. Whoa, that's not what he said. I'm God, I'm in charge of everything. I have all power. And that would be like, was that, is that true? 100% true, but that's not what he says. What does he say? I'm the Lord your God. I'm the one who set you free. He cares about freedom. He cares about humanity walking in freedom. Injustice gets his attention. Deceit and power mongering gets his attention. Oppression gets his attention. Systems of hate get his attention. Those things that limit humanity's ability to be what God created it to be. And so he brings the people out of that and he says to them, I'm the God who cares enough to set you free. I heard your cries in bondage. I brought you out of Egypt. And then he goes on to say, so follow these laws. Which seems counterintuitive. Like you want me to be free and then you keep telling me what to do. I feel like that's something a kid would say to me. Not my kids, because my kids would never say that. So let me get this straight. You want me to be free, but you keep telling me what to do. That doesn't feel like that makes sense. So you're the God who wants me to be free, and now you want to levy all these laws on me. That's something that an American would say. But let's think about it. My mom and I were chatting. My mom's up visiting. She came up for uh, my birthday. She was there when it all started. It's only right that she'd be here now. And she was sharing that at some of the main intersections back where we live, they've kind of taken out and put in roundabouts because roundabouts have this, they're like a pandemic. They just spread from state to state to state. You know, Ohio had it and now Pennsylvania is getting infected with roundabouts. And so if you have someone from Pennsylvania who comes over to Ohio and they're not used to that, they're like, what's going on? Oh my goodness, we're all going to die. Um, what enables, if you, like I live in Troy, what enables people to maneuver downtown roundabout in Troy without killing each other? What makes that possible? It's governed by law, right? You're going to drive in this direction. You're going to respect this speed limit. You're going to go into this lane, We respect these laws and we are free to maneuver that space. We take those laws out. What's going to happen? I will drive home on some rather big roads. I don't need to fear the giant semi-truck and all of its tonnage that's coming 60 miles an hour the opposite direction. You know why I don't need to fear that? He knows his lane. I know my lane. He's following the laws, I'm following the laws. I am free to be what I need to be. So it should only make sense. I'm the God who sets you free. You want to know how you stay free? Have no other gods 
before me. Have no other gods before me. Before. Everything kind of hinges on that. So does that mean like you can have other gods, just you can't put them in front of me? Like if we're to have a toddler and we're to give a toddler 10 matchbox cars, what is he going to do with them? I'm going to line those suckers up, right? If I give some of you 10 matchbox cars, what are you going to do? You're probably going to line them up. It's the blue one. Here's the red one. The trucks go with the trucks and the Mustangs go with the Mustangs. You're going to line them all up. So you can have other gods. God's just the first one in the parade. He's the first one at the line. I go first. Everything else goes behind me. Is that one way of interpreting it? Yes, you could say that. You could say that. You would be wrong. But you could say that. And that would be very dangerous because then you've kind of given yourself in, oh, I can have this other stuff. I just have to make sure that God gets Sunday morning at 1045. What God is actually saying is, place no gods in my presence. In our relationship, there should be nothing that comes between you and I. I am fully devoted to you. I am expecting that you be fully devoted to me as we walk together, one in another. Don't set anything in front of me. They just came out of Egypt. It was full of a whole pantheon of gods. They had a God for this and a God for this and a God for this. And you had to sacrifice to that God if you want that harvest. You got to sacrifice to that God if you want the Nile to flow correctly. And there's that God and he takes care of the sun. And there's that God and he takes care of death. And there's just gods everywhere. And God says, just me. Just me. Have no other gods before me. But here's the interesting thing in the story. You know what Israel is doing this exact moment? God makes that statement. Actually, I have no idea. Why don't you tell me, Paul? I think I will. God's up on the mountain having a conversation with Moses. God has come down in power and fire and smoke. And the people are like, whoa. And Moses is like, I got this. And Moses goes up through the fire. He's talking with God. God's giving him the commandments. We're chiseling them out in stone. At the very base of the mountain, this exact moment, you know what the people are doing? Building himself a God. The exact moment God says, do not put any gods before me. They are at the base of the mountain, building themselves a golden calf, putting it before God, and then saying, this is the God that brought us out of Egypt. You're like, are you kidding me? Like, seriously? Yes. This is the human condition. This is what we do. And it never takes us long to screw it up. Open up the very beginning of the book. Turn to page one in your Bible. You can eat from all the trees except that one. They're like, this one? Yeah, you can eat from all of these trees. I've made all of these trees. In fact, this one, this is the tree of goodness. This is the tree of life. This is the tree of walking in my blessing. You have that tree. There's apple trees and there's, there's mango trees and there's banana trees and there's all these kinds. You can enjoy all of this. beautiful. Do not, do not eat from that tree. You'll die. 
third chapter of the book, and it's got a lot of chapters. What do we do? Do we eat from that tree? It's almost like we can't do this on our own. Left to our own devices, we will always choose death and corruption and treason. Left to our own devices, we will fall. Bang. And so it's good and right that Jesus steps into the story. Because what we see God doing with Israel at a micro level, at a national level, we see Jesus doing at a macro level for all of humanity. He comes and he heals and he restores and he confronts. And he says, do not put any other gods before me. Let's walk together in holiness and righteousness. And I will walk with you. And I will defeat sin and death. And I will defeat the forces of evil. And I will pave a way for grace to saturate and fill your heart. So that when you could not choose, I will choose through you. You cannot ignore the human condition. It's 9-11. How many of you remember where you were? Isn't that an interesting statement? Like, that phrase alone tells the story. It's 9-11. How many of you remember where you were? Most, of, most anyone around the world might not, but for us, I know where I was. I was at a pastor's prayer retreat uh, with uh, 100 other pastors up in southern New York, pastors from actually New York City area. And I remember the moment when someone came in and says, hey, it, we think something is wrong. Planes are flying into and this has happened, and this has happened, and it completely shifts the entire culture of that prayer gathering as pastors who are from New York City are now rushing out the door to be down with their people, and, you know, we're going to prayer and ministry because something is happening in our country that we had never known before. This was a Monday. I, at the time, was leading a Saturday night service at a church that I was ministering at in central New York. The church had Sunday morning services and Sunday evening services, but I had started a Sunday, a Saturday night service, and this was the first service after the events of 9-11. And, you know, there might have been on any given Saturday night, 20, 30, 50 people. But that night it was packed. It was packed. Because something had grabbed a hold of our hearts and our minds and had been dropped into our consciousness that evil had become very real that week. And so we gathered for prayer and to light candles and to hold up our country. God, heal us and, and God, save us. We'd seen pictures on the news of Congress standing on the steps in Washington, D.C. and seeing God bless America. And flags had gone up and banners had gone up and prayers had gone up, right? It's an amazing moment. And for those of us who are like you know, students of history, right? this is like the revivals of years gone by. God is putting the pieces back together again. He, he's grabbed a hold of our consciousness and he's awoken our hearts to his things. And we were all on the same page. We're all on the same page. 
And then what happened? Life went on. And eventually the flags came down and the banners went away and church attendance tanked. Because we were all about confession and the good life. Oh God, we want to have the good life and something bad has happened into our good life. We, God, we need you to come back and bring us the good life. And God's like, you can't have the good life without the God life. And where does that start? You will have no gods before me. You will have no gods before me. And so God will say that. And then the next day, what will we do? The exact opposite, don't we? Parents, you know this, right? Didn't I just tell you not to punch your brother? Like that? Like, don't do that? We had a, we had a moment... <laughs> Everyone was excited last night at our house. We just had a wonderful feast of food and we're playing family games. And sometimes some people in our family can get competitive. <laughs> Not me. I feel it's my job to help you win, <laughs> which means I normally lose. And things are getting a little intense. And so dad says, you know what? We're going to play the quiet game. No one talk. Like right now, don't talk. Dad said, don't talk. You're talking. I'm not talking. You're talking. It wasn't like, it wasn't that bad, but. It... All right, my mom's like, yeah, it was that bad. <laughs> <laughs> but parents, can you place yourself in, 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 the, in the footprints of the child now? And God says, didn't I just tell you? Not to do that. And maybe you know what I'm talking about because you feel it. You feel the weight of change. You don't see change. You feel the weight of change. You feel change. You feel the bondage. Like, I know, but I don't know what to do about it because they don't go away. And that thing that I want to do, I don't do. And that thing that I don't want to do, that I do. And I know Jesus should be number one. And I know that God is number one. But then there's this thing. And then there's this thing. And I, I don't, mm. Yeah. Paul, I don't know how to move forward. Look at this story this way. There's 10 commandments. You ever wonder why there's 10? You're like, no. Nerds like you do that. <laughs> why are there 10? I mean, that's not like a normal Bible number. When you think of big numbers in the Bible, you got 12. 12 is a big one. 12 is good. Three, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, three. Seven, seven's a big What's the deal with 10? Maybe this will help you kind of figure out where the 10 commandments fits into everything. 10. Very first thing we see God doing in the beginning of the Bible, opening pages of the Bible, God does what? He 
creates everything. And he does that by speaking, guess how many times? Guess. Pick a number right now. Ten. God speaks everything into existence using ten phrases. He speaks ten times. And all of creation rises up. Okay. When God goes to deliver Israel from Egypt... He does it using what? Ten plagues. He made all of Egypt's ecosystem and economy, political system fall apart by doing what? Speaking ten times. To set his people free. And then when God brings them to the mountain to meet with him, a people out of chaos and bondage and slavery... How many times does he speak? He speaks 10 times. As if to say, I'm going to create something new now. I have brought you out of chaos. And in the same way I spoke to bring about the physical universe, if you follow these things, if you follow these 10 things that I'm about to say, we'll create a spiritual new creation. This is what God has for you. He has it for you. Because every single pronoun in the Ten Commandments is very unique. Pronouns are kind of a big thing right now. Everyone's talking about pronouns. What's your pronoun? I don't care. (laughs) Every single pronoun in the Ten Commandments is singular. You, individually. He's not speaking to the collective, he's not speaking to the masses. He's speaking to you directly. He's speaking to each single person. As if to say, Matt, I am the Lord, your God. I have set you free. Chris, I am the Lord, your God. I have set you free. Dave, I am the Lord, your God. I set you free. Have no gods before me. Brandon, you have no gods before me. Nancy, I set you free. Every single pronoun is singular. It's direct. It's the invitation to story. It's the invitation to be free at a very personal, individual level. So what are you putting in front of him? That's the question. What are you putting in front of him? The man in Jesus' story left crushed. He had put something in front of God and it was not a carved idol. It was money. It could be sex. It, It could be image. It could be your kids. It could be your phone. It could be anything that you put in front of him. And he says, what have you put in front of me? I'm the God who sets you free. What's so heartbreaking is that if you open up the story in Mark, where uh, the rich man comes before Jesus, Mark adds a phrase or includes a phrase that the other gospels don't include. The man says to Jesus, hey, how do I inherit eternal life? And Jesus walks him through the commandments. He says, I've done all that. And then it says, and Jesus loved him and said, one thing you lack. 
Jesus would say to you, I love you. And I have come to set you free. There's something you lack. I love you. I'm devoted to you. I'm committed to you. I have gone to the trenches for you. I've gone to the cross for you. I love you. I will set you free. But the man walked away crushed. I've come to heal the human condition. I've come to put the pieces back together again. I've come to release you from sin and the power of death. And maybe you know exactly what I'm talking about because you can feel the chains. In your notes is a connection card. It's a perforate. Would you tear that off? Everyone tear it off together. Take out that connection. Everyone tear it off. It's kind of fun. It kind of, it's rather liberating, actually. Just rip. See? See, essence, she feels more free already. Right? It's rip. Rip it off. Rip it off. Rip it off. Yeah. Maybe you've been going to church for years. Maybe you've only been going to church. Maybe this is your very first time going to church. Maybe you've heard this story for years. Or maybe this is your first time hearing this story. But today you feel the chains. You feel the chains of sin and death. Maybe you feel it in your marriage. Maybe you feel it in your finances. Maybe you just know flat out that sin and death has crushed you where you're at. But you hear me say that Jesus has come to set you free. Maybe on that connection card, you write down your name, write down just the word chains. And then when the offering basket goes by in a little bit, you could set that in there. Because I want to talk to you about that. I would love the chance, the privilege of sitting down with you to talk about these chains. That Jesus came to set you free. That you could step into an inheritance that is eternal life. The blessed life, the God life. Maybe you've gotten off that path and you've picked up those chains again. And you're tired, you are tired, you are tired. For you wear the chains you forged in life. Link by link and yard by yard. You too, write that down, put it in the basket as it goes by. Let me make a suggestion and then we'll have the artists come up. A way that we can challenge ourselves to enter into this commandment. Martin Luther was a great reformer, helped bring about some restoration in the church a few hundred years ago. And he saw the Ten Commandments as crucial to a follower of Jesus' faith. In fact, he would use them as an ongoing daily prayer through four ways. And on the back of your notes, I've listed them in what I just called a challenge. He would use each commandment in four ways. One is a point of instruction. Next is a point of thanksgiving. Thirdly is a point of confession. And then fourthly is a point for prayer. What if we did that each night before we went to bed this week? Or if you, you know, maybe you're a third shifter or a second shifter and things are moved. Whenever, before you settle down and lie down, what if you kind of entered into this place where you took that first commandment? I'm the Lord your God who delivered you out of bondage, out of slavery. You shall have no other gods before me. And turn it into those four things. Maybe four questions. One, let it be a point of instruction. 
Now, for the last 40, 45 minutes, I've done the instruction part. So maybe just go over your notes. Oh, God's the one who sets me free. I'm in bondage. God delivers me from bondage. I can get into bondage. I've had some problems with slavery. I've had some problems with this and this and this. God wants to deliver me. I'm just, the instruction part of that. Okay. Then let it become a point of thanksgiving. God, thank you that you set me free. Jesus, thank you that you went to the cross to set me free. Thank you that you have seen my slavery. You've seen the chains. God, thank you that you didn't leave me there, but you've heard me when I cried out, even when I didn't know it. Thank you. Then let it become a point of confession. I admit that today I picked this chains back up again. I put other things in front of you. You weren't number one. God, I'm sorry. I repent. Verbalize that. And then lastly, let that become a launching pad for prayer. God, tomorrow, by your grace, lead me into obedience tomorrow where nothing comes between us. God, by your grace, help me keep the chains away. God, protect me from the chains that I could celebrate you. If we did that every night this week, do you think that might change anything in our faith?